Hi. So, I am going to read you an old sermon I preached on Genesis chapter 22, and I called it Big Daddy. So this is Big Daddy based on Genesis chapter 22. Muslims, Jews, and Christians look to him as the father of their faith. Their scriptures point to him as a man of God, the one who displayed true faith in God. All three claim to be descendants of this one man, children and heirs of the promise first given by God to the same one man. The Quran calls him Ibrahim. We know him better as Abraham. Though the Bible first introduces Abraham with a different name, Abram, uh, for six chapters from Genesis 11 through 16, he is always referred to as Abram, a name which meant father. God changed his name in chapter 17 to Abraham, father of many, or as I like to call him, Big Daddy. <laughs> God promised Abraham that he would receive tremendous blessing, but they weren't for him alone. God's promise of blessing would pass down to his children and to his children's children. It was a threefold promise of number one, land, especially the land of Canaan. Number two, blessing. He would be successful. And number three, innumerable descendants, many kids, hence the name Big Daddy. The irony was Abraham had no kids. His wife, Sarah, was barren. This is Genesis 11, verse 30. And both of them were very, very old. He was 75 years old when God first called him in Genesis 12. It was only 25 years later, when Abraham was 100 years old, that Isaac was born to him and Sarah. The name Isaac means he laughs. <laughs> Isaac, that's what Isaac means. Sarah says, God has brought me laughter. Genesis 21 verse 6. This baby boy meant everything to his elderly parents. Isaac was their joy and their laughter. But now, God was about to test Abraham with his son, his highest joy, and his truest treasure. This is Genesis chapter 22 and verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. Now, notice this, how God refers to Isaac as your son. Your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Now, what, what does God tell Abraham to do with this son whom he really loves? 
offering him up as a burnt offering. <laughs> Abraham, you know, he was a wealthy man by this point in his life. But nowhere in the Bible does God test Abraham by telling him to give away all of his money. Neither was God telling Abraham to send his son away. The way that he did with Ishmael and his mother Hagar, just a few verses earlier in Genesis chapter 21. No, God tells Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. The Hebrew word hola, hola, or sacrifice, is the same word used when describing how Noah offered up animals on the altar, burn them up, after the flood in Genesis 8. This was a ola, or a whole burnt offering, meaning all of Isaac was to be offered up, and nothing was to be held back. His life, his body, his blood would be sacrificed on this altar to God. And that's right. I'm just reading the, the statement, the comment that says, this is too much. No one would do this in its current day. Well, I think no one would do this even in Abraham's day. This is just so much for God to ask Abraham to do. So thank you for that comment. But you know what happened? Abraham obeyed. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac, and he cut the wood for the burnt offering in the rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Now notice, notice how the focus stays on Abraham. He rose up. He took the young man. He even cut the wood. And he arose and he went. Now this was something that Abraham had to do alone. Alone. He had servants with him, but... Uh, they went as far as, as 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 far as we can tell from these verses, you know, he did everything himself. You know, Abraham got up early. He, he, he started packing for the three-day journey. He didn't even let them chop the wood. Here was a hundred-year-old man, <laughs> a wealthy businessman with servants paid to wait on him hand and foot. And yet here was Abraham packing the sandwiches, <laughs> changing the engine oil, and doing all the manual labor. He, well, he had to do this. This was his son. Abraham, you know, saw this as something that he had to do on his own. It's like the time when you first got into university or into college, and your mom, you know, she fusses over your luggage, you know, to the point that she packs the entire suitcase for you. It's almost like therapy for your mom, you know, whether she's shopping for that, you know, for me, she got me Bicheng Bakwa. <laughs> it's a kind of snack. Or she packs in 10 million packs of curry powder. You know you're never going to use it up, but she packs it anyway. Or enough bakute spices to last until Jesus comes back. And then goes in the 10 jumpers, the 20 pairs of underwear, and every t-shirt you've ever owned since you were six years old, including the one with the big green Milo logo in front. And then you're tempted to say, 
Mommy, I don't need all this stuff in my bag. But still, you let her do this. Because you are lazy. No, <laughs> because you love her. And you know that this is your mother's way of saying, I love you. I wonder if Abraham did all this in part to take his mind off the terrible situation ahead of him. Perhaps even to delay it as long as he could. You know, he chopped the wood, he got the donkey ready. But in the end, in the end, he obeyed God. He set off for the place that God had sent him to. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back to you again. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. And then he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. Now it took three days to get to Moriah. And verse 4 says at this point, Abraham saw the place from afar. It is so interesting. It is so interesting what he does next. Because it's still far off. There's still a fair bit of distance to cover. But what does Abraham do? He gets off the donkey. <laughs> he leaves his servants behind. And he takes this long walk, long walk with his son. You know, he wanted to do these last moments. He wanted it to be just him and his son, Isaac. Now, it's debatable how old Isaac was at this point of the story. You know, he was, he was old enough to talk. He was old enough to carry wood on his back. And yet, later on, he's weak enough that Abraham could bind him, tie him up to the wood. Verse 6 says he laid the wood on Isaac. He made him carry the wood. Now the fact that they needed two servants and a donkey to get this far suggests that this was probably a lot, a lot of wood. And I wonder again if this was Abraham kind of like making the most of the journey, you know, slowing down these last moments that they had together. What, what we do know is that they talked with one another. Big Daddy with his son, his only son, the son whom he loves. Out of everything else in the world, he just had this talk between father and son. And as they walked and they talked, this father with his son was making this journey to this place of sacrifice. Verse 7, And Isaac said to his father Abraham, my father. And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold the fire in the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. Now one of the reasons why I chose this passage today is because of a conversation I had recently with my friend. His name is Wallace. And he told me that as a father of two children of his own, he admired Abraham as an example of a godly father. 
No, he, he, no, here was a father who always spoke about God. One thing Abraham always did was build altars to God. Now I need to be clear that this was well before the time of Moses. There was no tabernacle, there were no priests, there were no God-prescribed places of worship. And also, that Abraham didn't simply build altars willy-nilly. Rather, these were the first memorials to God's appearances to Abraham. You know, when God first appeared to Abraham back in chapter 12, he built an altar. God speaks to him again in Canaan, so he built another altar at Mamre. This is Genesis chapter 13. These altars were places where God blessed Abraham and where Abraham in turn worshipped and thanked God. So here in verse 7, Isaac, his son, turns to Abraham and asks his father about worship. About worship. And they're going to worship God on the mountain and they're carrying him with them this wood and fire or perhaps some kind of tinder for the fire, something to start the fire. And he says, well, something is missing. Where is the lamb? This is Isaac's first worship. This is Isaac's first altar. But he knows that an important part of worship is missing. This lamb that has to be killed, that has to be sacrificed. Abraham answers this very important question by teaching his son about God. God will provide. In fact, look again at verse 8, and you see that his answer is very strongly focused on God. God will provide for himself, Abraham says. Now, I know that some will look at Abraham's answer and go, hmm, this guy is not being honest. <laughs> He's covering up for the fact that Isaac is going to be the one sacrificed on the altar. But it's worth asking, why does Genesis record this conversation at all? I mean, why not record instead what Isaac said when Abraham tied him to the altar? No, no! You know, that's, that's the kind of dialogue all of us want to hear about, want to read about. What does Isaac say when he's being tired of about to be sacrificed? Rather, what we have here is a moment. A moment that is spent between father and son and what it looks like for the son to trust his father and his father to trust in God. Isaac is obviously smart enough to figure out that there's something wrong with the picture. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? But he trusts his father. And Abraham responds to that trust by teaching Isaac of his personal trust in God. God himself will provide. That's what Abraham says. Now, that's what my friend Wallace was talking about. He was concerned not just that he trusted God in times of difficulty, of doubt, but that his own kids would learn to do the same thing. Here we see it's not just about dragging your rebellious teenagers, dumping them in Sunday school. It's actually the drive to church, your own eagerness to worship God. It's when you yourself are being tested by God. It's your personal struggles, you know, being worked out before God, but in full view of the people whom you love, your kids, your family, 
your friends, and pointing them to the one who is truly trustworthy, God. He himself will provide. He is promised. I trust him, and so should you. And notice again how verse 8 repeats the phrase, so both of them went on together. Both of them went on together. Abraham's journey with God was now Isaac's journey with God. Abraham's faith in God is now Isaac's faith in God. They both went on together. That's the significance. Verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. <laughs> and the angel said, do not lay a hand on your boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. <laughs> now, Jewish scholars, they refer to this passage as the Akedah. It's, it's a word that means binding, the Akedah. And it's referring to the binding of Isaac on the altar. Now, the Quran, the Quran actually records the events in this chapter without mentioning the name of the son whom God told Abraham to sacrifice. Muslims, scholars, therefore contend that this son was Ishmael, not Isaac, who was bound on the altar. That Ishmael was the one who was being sacrificed. And both of them emphasize the role that is played by the son. You know, it was the son of Abraham who displayed true faith and was willing to be sacrificed on the altar to God. As if Isaac was saying to his father, do it, just do it, just go ahead. <laughs> but the Bible, now interestingly, notice that the Bible does not record a single word spoken by Isaac. Now earlier on, it did when they were talking together and walking together as father and son. But not here, not here. Here the focus is squarely on Abraham. As verse 1 indicates, this was God's test of Abraham alone. Abraham built the altar. Abraham laid the wood. Abraham bound Isaac on top of the wood. Verse 10, then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Abraham, Abraham, you could almost hear the urgency in God's voice. The angel of the Lord called from heaven. This was a direct message. Hand delivered, first class, straight from heaven. Whoa, Abraham. The message was to release Isaac. Notice how God refers to Abraham's son. Now I know you fear God, seeing you've not withheld your son your only son, from me. Now, if we're honest, some of us are asking ourselves at this point of the story, 
isn't this cruel? You know, now, now you know that Abraham fears God. Now, <laughs> what kind of God is this? What kind of person would do this? But you see, the story doesn't end here. Now, God, God wasn't just simply daring Abraham in a game of chicken to see who would dodge first. If so, this would be a cruel game. This would be a story of a creator toying with his creation simply for his amusement. That would be so if the story ended with Abraham simply letting Isaac go and God saying, oh, this, this is all just a joke, just a ruse. No, Abraham came with his son to build an altar to worship God. And as Isaac was had implied earlier, the worship of God involved sacrifice, the life and the blood of a living animal. But it was God and not Abraham who would provide the sacrifice for the altar. Verse 13, And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his, thorn, by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Scholars, they debate the meaning of the name of this mountain. Abraham calls it, the Lord will provide, Yahweh Yireh. But it could easily be translated as the Lord sees. And verse 14 says, on the mount of the Lord, he will be seen. Abraham lifts his eyes and he sees a ram. God has provided this animal as a sacrifice instead of Isaac as a substitute instead of his son, the verse says. We know from Second Chronicles chapter 3 that this mountain of Moriah, this, uh, which is mentioned in verse 2, Moriah, that's the name of the mountain, would later be the site where the temple would be built by Solomon. This was God's mountain, where God was seen, where God provided a sacrifice for worship and as a substitute for our sin. It says here, Abraham took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead, instead of his son. God provided a substitute. An animal died instead of and in place of his son Isaac. Verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sun that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. So, God repeats 
his promise to Abraham of immense blessing and innumerable descendants and through his kids all the nations will be blessed that kind of thing they'll be blessed why verse 18 because you have obeyed my voice and then something very curious happens in verse 19 Abraham returned to his servants singular yeah interesting here as in Abraham alone not Abraham and Isaac but Abraham alone returned to his servants. Now, in case you think I'm nitpicking, Jewish scholars are also puzzled by the statement that they suggest that Isaac was really killed on the altar and that God had physically raised him from the dead. Now, these are Jewish scholars. We're not talking about Christian scholars. These are Jewish scholars contending for this view <laughs> that Isaac was raised from the dead. So I'm not trying to read my own personal Christian view into a text that's not there. In fact, I kind of hold an opposite view. The New Testament goes against this idea of Isaac dying on the altar. Hebrews 11 says this, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is Hebrews 11, verses 17 and 19. And, and what it's saying, what it's saying is that Abraham had every confidence that even if Isaac was killed, which he wasn't, but even if he did kill his son, God could simply raise him from the dead to life again. But the verse also says, Figuratively, he did receive him back, meaning Isaac didn't die. Instead, a substitute died in his place, in the place of Isaac. And as a Christian, uh, I believe that that substitute was Jesus Christ. Now, I could turn to passages like Matthew chapter 1 that emphasizes that Jesus as the true son of Abraham, tracing his ancestry all the way back, generation by generation, through King David, all the way back to Father Abraham. Or I could simply turn to Romans 4, where Paul insists that Christians are the true heirs of the promise to Abraham by faith in Jesus Christ alone. I could use either one of these passages. But one of the most puzzling passages, I think, and also the most coolest text connecting Jesus and Abraham is found in John chapter 8. Right near the end of the chapter, Jesus says to a crowd of Jews, he says these words, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. <laughs> and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. At this, the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus, to throw it at Jesus. You see, Jesus had said something deeply offensive, not just against Abraham, but against God. Jesus was claiming to be God when he said, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. I am. See, I am was the translation of God's name. This is Exodus 3 verse 14. God was the true I am. But just before that, Jesus says, 
Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. What was that about? <laughs> what was it that Abraham longed to see that filled him with so much joy? Now we know the answer to that question, don't we? It was his son Isaac. Isaac means joy. Isaac means laughter. His son, his only son, the son whom he loved. And Jesus says, he saw it. What was it that Abraham looked up on the mountain and behold that he saw? It says there the substitute for his son whom he loved. And Jesus adds, he rejoiced seeing his day. Now thousands of years later, another son would walk up a mountain in Moriah called Golgotha. He would carry the wood on his shoulders he was obedient to God's word. He was submissive to his father. Only he would walk alone. And there was no substitute in his place. No word from heaven to stop the execution. No words of comfort to reassure him. On this mountain, God's son, his only son, the son whom God loved, was sacrificed for us. There on the cross, he took our place. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What did Abraham see? What did he see? Or what do, rather, what do we see uh, when you look at the cross? Do you see love, sacrifice, uh, substitute? You know, all these are true and all these are very precious things. But Jesus says he saw this and he rejoiced. Jesus was his truest joy, his highest treasure, his greatest love. And this is the good news of the gospel. God has given us his son freely that he might take our punishment, our sin, and our death as our substitute. And by trusting in Jesus, we might receive true and eternal life, forgiveness, and reconciliation, love from God, our Heavenly Father, and Jesus as our truest and great, greatest and highest joy. Oh, okay. All right. That's how it ends. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. All right. So there he goes. Yeah. So that, that was an old sermon I wrote 11 years ago on Genesis chapter 22. It's called Big Daddy. Here it is. Yeah, I wrote it as a blog piece and I'm just reading it through just as a recap to remind myself of my thoughts, thinking or going through this passage 11 years ago. So hopefully that helps me in my preparation for this coming Sunday when I'm preaching on this again at LCAC. Yeah, yeah. yeah. hopefully it helps. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the picture of your son dying on the cross and how this passage helps us to understand Jesus' sacrifice for us as precious, but also as something joyful that you look upon him as your obedient son and we look upon him as our precious Savior. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been the Daily Bible Reading Show. Goodbye. Good night. God bless.